1: Welcome to Hub City Homers, episode 40. We are now fully through the sporting calendar. We're in the dead period. This is, this is the saddest time to be a college athletics fan is when your baseball team's fallen. There's just not a lot out for you. You know, I'm not much of a professional baseball guy or really, I guess, hockey's still kind of petering along. It's, those aren't my sports, and for a lot of people, they aren't either. It's a, I'm a college sports guy, so it is the sad time of year. This is now... The second dead period for this podcast. Previously, we started this podcast during baseball season. Um, So this is kind of full circle for us to to come back around to the end of baseball season. We're 40 episodes in plus a handful of interview specials and other special episodes that don't count towards our our numbered episode count. So I, I wanted to take the opportunity to thank, you know, the people who've listened our, our listenership is nowhere near the biggest in, in the tech you know, podcast arena, but we've been growing. And as long as somebody out there is interested in listening, we'll keep doing it because it's fun for us to do. Um, a couple of things about the podcast most people don't know. First and foremost, it's unedited. Uh, maybe you can tell that. Reason being is I just am not a very good editor. And the other thing is I think we're not going to beat people by being more professional. That's not going to be our slant. There are so many great tech podcasts That that wasn't going to be our value proposition. We're going to be the most real tech podcast. These are our reactions in real time. The other thing most people don't know is the guys actually very rarely know what I'm going to ask them. Um, I usually tell them five minutes before the show what the topic is to give them some idea of where we're going. And then I ask questions on the fly based on the conversation. So these are as real of reactions as you can get from us um, in real time. And I don't know what they're going to say or what they're going to tell me. Um, so you, you're getting, I, like I said, our value proposition is not that we're the the coolest, slickest podcast. We don't even have an intro song, but our value proposition to you guys, the listeners is these are our real reactions. So as we head into this off season, looking towards football season, just keep that in mind that we are telling you guys what we think and it is what it is in the recording. So what are we going to do for this episode? That's a great question, me. Um, we're going to talk about the year in review. I, I, I know a lot of podcasts do this, and I think it's a great idea to take a s- stock of where we were and then maybe look a little bit to where we came from. You know, a lot is changing in this upcoming year for Texas Tech Athletics. We're going to focus on the major three sports We we will in the future touch on. Some of the non-major sports, things like maybe golf, uh, softball, women's basketball, some of these other sports will get attention. But I want to start with the major three sports because the, we're, the, the next one in line is football. So everybody's kind of wondering, what is this new year going to hold for Tech once the sporting calendar turns over? So we're going to start with football since it is going to be up first. And we're going to go just in chronological order down the three sports from basketball to baseball. And I'm going to open this one up to Jack first. It's just Jack and Kendall and I tonight, so you're going to get a little one-on-one time with us. Um, Jack, when we're talking about football, the the season's defined by Matt Wells being let go in the middle of it. Um, it's defined by what Sonny Cumbie does next, which is you know try to rally the troops and take to a bowl game and win the Liberty Bowl. But I want to focus on a, uh, on an aspect of this that is not necessarily as discussed by a lot of tech people because they don't like the thought. But we do need to look at this from a perspective of what does this all mean for Kirby Hocutt? So, Jack, when we're looking back at football season, you know, what? what is your take on, you know, Tech's commander-in-chief from, from his perspective, how he's managing the football program, the most important one in the state of Texas and in the country? Um, what, what do you think he's done? Did he make the right call? How did he handle the coaching hire? Let's start there since that kind of dominates the season.
0: I think looking back to the football season, it's it's a season of highs and lows. I think the way Kirby handled everything was done very well. It almost surprised me, though, that he was a little more reactive to... I don't want to say reactive to the fan base, but... There's, I mean, it's no secret. There were calls for Wellshead after, I mean, pretty. There was stuff before the season started, but it was definitely more. Uh, it was very much a louder topic uh, after the debacle in Austin. I mean, you go down there and you lose by thirty-five points, and if anything, the schedule really worked out for us. it, it really kind of saved it kind of saved Matt wells's ass honestly if you want to talk about it. Those games against West Virginia and Kansas definitely um, prolonged his stay in Lubbock uh, kind of getting off topic there. but overall I think I think the way Kirby handled it was done it was done very well. I think that he definitely did not have the okay to go pick out another head coach by himself. Uh, As you saw, I'm the one he handpicked by himself kind of shit the bed quite frankly. So I'm not sure that he got the uh, a okay to go out by himself in which, I mean, that's why you hire a committee. And uh, the committee that he put together was very well, it was very well put together. I think that he did a lot of good in, I mean, you remember when, if, if you rewind, Tech doesn't have a football coach and all these rumors are coming out, you know, every time we go through this, the Art Briles rumors pop up, you know, the Dana Holgerson rumors, all this stuff. I thought it was interesting that Kirby really never responded to it because he never really any re- never really gave it any validity. And I honestly think that that was the best way to go about that in a sense because if you even give that any sort of media attention or talk about it at all, you know, you're kind of giving some sort of traction to it so to speak and so I think when he did that and he just never really gave it any validity at all it made me feel a lot better about the search ending with the guy that we got Joey McGu- man I mean we've all seen it so far I mean the hype around the football program is as high as it's been in at least nine years um since we first hired, I think since after the first seven games of the Cliff Kingsbury era, uh, I think, I think that that can be matched. And if it's not matched already, but we'll jump into it in another episode. Cause we know we're kind of summarizing all of the sports from this past year, but, I think that the right hire was made. I think that it was done in the right way. And I think that the search committees that he's hiring, you know, the way Kirby has responded to having to hire search committees for the, for basketball and football, he's handled it the right way. He's put together a solid crew on both and on both searches. And instead of, you know, he could have, you know, tucked his tail between his legs, ran off and said, man, I don't like this. I have to do this. It's committee da da. but he really took it in stride. And to me, uh, that just makes, that just makes me as a fan feel that much more confident in a positive decision coming forward in any sort of coaching search that we do from now on, even if he, I mean, that's just the way I feel.
1: I, I have held an unpopular opinion, perhaps, of some, which is this idea that despite the success of Tim Tadlock, even really despite the success of Mark Adams, that this hire will define Kirby Hoke's tenure at Tech. Um, that may not be true. Mark Adams exceeded expectations to a large degree, which has helped after the Chris Beer disaster. But you know, this hasn't exactly been necessarily a scandal-free tenure under Kirby. Um, right, wrong, or indifferent, there have been some issues with coaches, some things that you wonder how the athletic department didn't know about. And on top of that, just the total mismanagement of your most important program. So I think there were a lot, at least myself personally, and I would hope some others were starting to ask if the most important hire is continuously wrong, how long can Kirby survive? Um, and again, maybe this is completely unwarranted. I don't know the inner workings of Texas, Texas administration. Maybe they would have been fine with just being a basketball baseball school, nothing necessarily wrong with that. But the, the idea to me, at least was Matt Wells was such a stake your reputation higher that when it flamed out miserably right after the botched cliff Kingsbury contract. And you know, there, I had serious concerns about what Kirby was going to do this time around. Um, I, I I like your comment about him seeming to respond to the fan base. The McGuire hire was largely fan driven. Um, you guys are familiar with um, Robin Kyle, who I think basically drove that bus. Um, he responded fast. I think he knew that this was going to be a pretty hectic offseason from a coaching perspective, and he made the uh, the best hire he could. Now, do I think Jeff Trailer necessarily? Do I think, excuse me, let me rephrase. Do I think Drev Trailer was probably the first choice? I do. I think they took a solid run there and he wasn't interested in coming along, so they went to option two. But when option one came off the board, I think he got the best available option for a school like Tech. He got a guy that's legitimately excited to be out here who, who views this as a job he wants to be at, who is as genuine as they come, who can recruit at a high level despite Lubbock's reputation and you know the isolation a bit of the city. And who's really sold kids on the program. He sold the guys in the program and the guys he wants in the program and what he's doing uh, on the brand. So I think, you know, when you're talking about just faith and faith in the commander in chief, this was an important hire to get right. We don't know if it's going to work. Mind you, this is a first time head coach at the high level. Coach McGuire is known as a lot of things, but he has nothing to support the idea that he's necessarily going to be the world's greatest college coach. We just don't know. He could be. We just don't know. So, but I I think that most people at the end of the day, even if this hire goes sideways, say, you know, Maguire isn't able to capitalize on the momentum and it just doesn't work out, which, God forbid, or uh, is what happens, it'd be a total disaster. I really do think Maguire can do this. But, point being, is if he has, you know, a Matt Wells kind of tenure where it just never gets off the ground, I think the hire bought Kirby at least one more. Because there's, you can argue, who else was he supposed to go get? Um, you know, the Art Bryles, anyone who hires Art Bryles is finished in major athletics. Um, the administrator will be fired and the program will be left in the dust. So he avoided making what might have been a politically easy hire to make. Um, so that's that's where kind of where I stand. And the reason why I wanted to start there is because when we're talking about the football program, the past isn't as important as the future for that program. You know, we, we're past the Matt Wells error. We're all grateful to what Sonny Cumbie did, but it's all about the McGuire error. So I don't want to dig much more back into the, the season and review there because what happened in basketball and baseball is much more relevant to their future. Same coaches, you know, some of the guys are still there. We you know, we can talk about turnover. But I wanted to start the discussion on football and on that hiring process because it's important that I think people know that, you know, the, the, the guy running the show has not yet successfully hired a football coach. That has been the biggest black mark on Kirby Hokut's um, tenure. And all, wherever he's been is his football hires have been bad and they haven't worked. So we're hoping that this is the one, this is the one where he manages it. He may, he got the committee together. He listened to the fans. He was proactive. He, he moved quick. There wasn't a lot of uncertainty. He's fully supporting the, the, the entire staff. This is an important one. I think that's, that's, really what's most relevant to football right now. Um, we're going to do football look-aheads also in more detail, obviously, as we get closer to the season. But I want to move to basketball now because there is a lot to talk about in basketball season that does impact what's going forward. And what I first want to talk about is perhaps a you know more sensitive subject to some. But we did see quite a few guys elect ultimately to transfer this year. Um, some more surprising than others. But um, it, it just may just be the case of modern basketball. But Jack, when you're looking at basketball season, you look at guys like Kevin McCullough and TJ Shannon and Malik Wilson. You know, what kind of, what what? forget where McCullough is going for a second. Forget where these guys are going for a second. But let's just look at their legacy. These guys who transferred out and will not finish as Red Raiders. What are you most going to remember about these guys and their time at Tech?
0: I think I'm gonna remember. It's it's kind of a tough question because part of me wants to say that it's hard for me. It's hard for me to overlook where McCullough's going, as it is for anyone, you know. But the thing that I'll remember most about TJ Shannon and Kevin McCuller, I'll say, and it's and it's possibly not a positive am i grateful for everything that they did for the tech program yes Uh, i wish no ill will for tj shannon i hope he goes to illinois and puts up 30 points a game this year and is a top five draft pick with that being said in my mind as someone who tries to look at it objectively without bias which is very hard to do I think the thing that I will take away the most from not just this year, but over the last couple with these two teams or with these two guys is missed opportunities. And when I say missed opportunities, I mean it in the sense of injuries. I feel like Texas Tech basketball could have – elevated its status if both of these guys were healthy at the same time more frequently. And and I'm it's not a knock on either of them. Injuries are something you can't control. It's not like these guys are going out there trying to get hurt every game. Just both of them have had just shit luck with injuries. And it sucks because I truly think that if both of these guys were healthy even ninety five percent of the time together, they would have had more time to mesh. And granted, they meshed very well, and they were very close. You could see at towards the end of the of the uh, tournament run, and even throughout the tournament, they were. I mean, they got each other. They could feed off each other. But just think about what it could have been if both of them were healthy at the same time for more more frequently. You know, it would have been absurd. So I think as much as I am thankful to both of them for what they did for this program and pushing it and staying with Mark Adams and being able to keep this team where it needs to be and keep the program relevant, the thing that I think the thing that I will always look back on is, to me at least the injuries.
1: Uh, You you make a good point about these two guys. Um, This year in particular was hard for both of them for just the simple fact that they could not stay anywhere near 100%. Even when these guys are on the court, I think it's it's pretty true that neither one of them ever felt like themselves for a lot of the year, Um, which was unfortunate because I think this was a pretty good basketball squad that needed both of those guys at 100% full go um to, to have a chance to do some really special things. And they still accomplished a lot, don't get me wrong, even with these guys in limited capacities, only showing up occasionally, but TJ was never the same after his injury. Um, McCullough was banged up most of the year. And I think that hurt his his shooting in particular. Um, but what I'm gonna remember the most about these two guys and Malik Wilson too, I wanna I wanna touch on him as well on this is just that when the program was in a lot of trouble, you know, they chose to stay um that was important it was a sign of respect for coach Adams it's one of the reasons he got the job was these two guys lobbying and it was a sign of stability that allowed tech to go get these transfers they had to get in order to just build a roster let alone a competitive one it convinced guys to come in buy in and play basketball with coach Adams which allowed tech to have what was quite frankly a phenomenal season despite not necessarily being the most talented team I mean you could not shoot the ball most of the year, and you still finished you know, a couple games off of the Big 12 title, and you still finished in the Sweet 16 and just narrowly losing to Duke. And a lot of that's because of these guys' decision. And Malik Wilson falls into this as well because he chose to commit to come in into a position group that he knew was crowded. He wasn't a true point guard. He knew he was battling guys like Shannon McCullough for playing time, and he embraced the opportunities he got and tried to make the most of it. And I'm looking forward to watching his development. And the reason why I want to exclude you know, where they go next, because we all have op- strong opinions, I, we've expressed ours about Kevin McCullough's decision, but you know, it does remain to be said that whatever happens with him coming back with Kansas, that we do owe him a lot of gratitude for staying. Now, I think he forfeited a lot of that goodwill by electing to go to a conference rival, but it, it remains to be said. His legacy at Tech will be related to that decision to come back uh, when he really didn't have much of a reason to. That was a the, the program was in a bad way. But let's dig a little bit more into the actual meat of the season now, and let's just talk about what was top moment from the basketball season from your perspective. Uh, what, what what moment stands out, and all the rest of some really what was a pretty entertaining season a lot of the time.
0: Well. You know, uh, both of us were at the Texas game in Austin. That was a fun time. I, it's hard to not say the Texas game in Lubbock. Uh, I think it was vindication. It was vindication in the fact that Beard left, and you know we got revenge for that. I think it was also interesting in a way because I feel like Tech fans finally... Felt like we got the media coverage we deserved for it. Granted, not always the right media coverage. And, you know, we got, we got crucified on a lot of outlets for whatever reason. But I'll pick something completely different. And I'd like to go to the game in Waco. When you beat number one on the road... And that's a game that correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we had Shannon for that game. That's correct, right? We didn't have we didn't have Shannon for that. So, yeah, that
1: was when he was still out.
0: Yeah. So th- it was a huge statement from our entire team. I mean, you had five guys in double digits in that game. Um, Uh, no one having more than 14 and no one having less than 11 uh, other than Davion Warren, who, uh, you know, he only had two in that game, I think, but that was a, that was a big time game where I think some of these, some of these guys were wondering if this team had kind of the it factor uh, not not to make a run to like the national championship, so to speak, but the it factor that oh yeah, this team can make some noise uh, nationally, not just in the Big Twelve, but nationally as well. Um, definitely after that, I I felt more confident in a deeper run in the tournament. I thought may I thought if we get in, maybe we're out in the first or second round. Granted, we made it to the Sweet 16, and that excelled all expectations, but I think that was the first point in the season. Yeah, you beat, you beat Kansas at home uh, the couple days before it, but I think that was the first point in the season where you really felt like you belonged with the top dogs. I, you could make the argument for that god-awful game in, at Madison Square Garden against Tennessee, uh, where no one wanted to win I think you know a week later or a little bit over a week later uh, you lose to Gonzaga and I don't know if that was to, uh, if that was a real good game to base anything off of tech didn't play particularly well in that game but for me at least as as a fan and uh you know, we write articles about this stuff. I think at that point, we we knew we could beat Kansas. It had been done before, but seeing this team down your star, one of your stars, uh, winning at number one on the road uh, was a real big moment. I I, I don't want to take away from that win against Kansas at home because that was w- with neither Shannon or McCullough. Or McCuller, if I'm correct, again. So uh, that win was huge. And that proved that we could get it done without him. But a true road game against the number one team in the country, uh, winning that, I think it reinstilled faith in the program for anyone who didn't have it for some reason. But it really made me as a fan feel like, yeah, you know what? We belong in this top in these top team conversations because for the, you know, for the, even when beard was still here, even after we made the national championship, it was all, it's always been the talk about Kansas and Baylor. It's Kansas and Baylor, Kansas and Baylor. And it's in every so often, you know, UT. But I think that that game in Waco really cemented Texas tech in being associated or being included in that group uh, of teams.
1: Yeah, I think I think that you know when I when I think top moments, a couple come to mind. The first being the um, that three game stretch for those who don't recall of you went on the road and lost to a red hot Iowa State team with seven guys. Um, that that loss would prove to be pretty critical in the Big Twelve race, um, and actually almost was decisive in the Big Twelve race and you battled your ass off. That was a very hotly contested game. You just didn't have enough in the tank with so few players, including all of your starters out. And then the back-to-back wins of Kansas and Baylor stand out in a huge way as well, because it was a, it was a statement to the rest of the league and to the nation that Mark Adams had the program here to stay. Um, but I think the moment against Texas is one that has to be come back to, um, for one, because of just the overall atmosphere of at the game. Um, I was at the one in Austin with my, with my brothers and my dad. And that was a, don't get me wrong. That was a fun game. A lot of tech fans. There It was a great moment, but the original battle in Lubbock, the one that was built up and built up and built up. And then you just, you take care of business in that, that atmosphere was the best moment of the year. Um, and I know, I know there are a lot of Texas fans who like to talk about well, they were everybody's Super Bowl, but it it, it meant something to slap around Texas this year with Chris Beard defecting to 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 coach the Longhorns. It meant something to beat him to prove that the pro, that he left a better program for a worse one, um, and proved that th- uh, definitively. They did it. They did it the old-fashioned way. They just beat his ass. It wasn't. A facilities arms race. It wasn't jawing. They did it on the court and in the, the hottest spotlight possible. They did it. Um, you know, I liked the Notre Dame win as well. I thought that was a great moment. But when you talk about one of the most cathartic moments of the year, the Texas one is that one. It wasn't the biggest game. Texas was not, you know, particularly relevant to Texas long term goals, but it was a moment that we all know was more important than just a regular season basketball game and pretending otherwise is just foolhardy. Um, I, I, saw way too many Texas fans trying to sh- shrug off the moment. And it's just like, we all know what that moment meant for both these programs. And one came out on top. Chris Beard lost a proof of concept game. He lost the argument that he went to a better program, an easier to win at program. He lost everything that he had built up around, you know, the mystique of him coming to Texas. because um, at the end of the day, his accomplishment was they won one game in the NCAA tournament. Um, which is, granted, more than they've won in the last several years, but still, that, that's what his great entrance with the top five preseason team ended up being. And part of it was because of Tech's effort on the course, which demonstrated definitively which program's in a better place. Um, so I think that that moment stands out to me. Now we're going to go the other way. We're going to go, what was the low point of the season? What was the moment that hurt the most? What was you know, the moment where maybe you didn't lose faith, but it just really stung not to get the job done?
0: Oh, uh, geez. I mean, there are points for me at multiple times where I was just kind of like, you know, what are we doing? Uh, I, I think, and, and I'm not, and I don't want to discredit any of the teams uh, that we played. I, th- I think the... I think the loss at TCU hurt. Um, I think the loss at Oklahoma hurt a lot, quite a bit. Um, being slapped around by Gonzaga wasn't particularly fun. Uh, I mean, you lost that one by 14. But to me, the one that sticks out the most has to be uh, the double overtime loss in Lawrence. Uh, that game was such a good game, and it was so uncharacteristic for Tech. And, and by that, I mean, you know, everyone who listens knows Tech is comfortable with scoring 75 points but holding you to 60 and winning by 15. That's just our game. That's our style, and that's the way it will be as long as Mark Adams is the head coach but to to have a game against Kansas where they they had to throw up a desperation three a desperation three by Ochai Abaji saved their season and you you come back with again and I've, I feel like there's a reoccurring theme but and I don't again I don't want to overshadow uh you know, Bryson Williams' effort in that game, you know, 33 points. Just absolutely, just, he's a Jayhawk killer, and he always will be. But I think the thing that stands out to me, and the more as I look back over this season, it's a common theme, at least to me. Uh, you did this without your two stars. Your two stars <laughs> win a combined two for 21 from the field that's atrocious and yet one of those guys led the team in minutes in that game so i mean he play, McCuller played 44 minutes in that game that's absurd to only go, to go 1 for 11 from the field but i think that one was just it was just a punch in the gut and just to know that we were right there and we had him you know we had him you always hear about the discussion when you're up by three to foul, uh, to force them to go to the line for two. And that way they, even if they make both, they can't, you know, tie and hindsight's always 2020, but I think it definitely is a recurring theme in Mark Adams. mind now is to think about fouling when you're up by three. Um, when they have the ball coming down the court. I think that just forcing Ochai Baji to make that three and getting in a run and gun shootout, it proved that we could be forced out of our style, but still keep up with good teams. But also you couldn't help, but coming away from that game, feeling like you, I mean, we should have won that game. It's plain and simple if tech plays the way that they're supposed to, uh, we should have won that game without a doubt. I mean, how often are you going to get a two for 21 from your two top guys and have to, you know, defect to the rest of the team? I, that's the one that just is a common stand standpoint for me. And I'm sure it'll be on your list as well.
1: I would say that was maybe the the hardest to stomach loss. I don't know if it was the worst moment of the season for me, but I, I do think that that loss hurt for any number of reasons because that was a lesson I had hoped Tech had learned from the national title game. And Chris Beard or Mark Adams watched a big three go in. I had hoped any number of times that happened to Chris Beard, Mark Adams would absorb that information. And I, I I didn't understand the decision not to foul. I thought that was the first time major head coach making a mistake. Which he did not make a bunch this season. That was one of the few he made in terms of strategy. So that hurts. My low point of the season probably goes man, there's there's a couple just tough moments. I think it's the TCU loss. Now, granted, TCU ended up being a scrappy little squad. You know, we saw what they did in the tournament, got screwed against Arizona, but my, they, they were comp- a lot more competitive than I think maybe they should have been. But Tech had been so dominant over the Horn Frogs over the last several years, it really hurt to lose and lose kind of convincingly. Um, they looked, TCU looked better for a lot of that game. Um, especially by the end they just really rallied and they just looked like a, a squad that could take out tech um that to me is probably the lowest point also and i know it's a cheap one to go to i thought losing to duke was a tough thing to stomach because you lost to a team i think you were better than in terms of just how the cards were aligning you had that game and then one, Duke was red hot, and two, Tech cooled off completely, and that combination ended your year. Um, that's a cheap answer, though, going to the last game of the season. Uh, but I think the TC loss will always stand out a bit to me this year because you've just been so dominant over the Horn Frogs. There were a lot of moments this year which the shooting was so bad, it was almost painful. That Tennessee game, perfect example. It sucked to play Gonzaga, you know, shorthanded. Uh, Trying to think that the Kansas loss is, was brutal to stomach. The Oklahoma loss was really really hard. That was a pretty bad moment. Um, what what the 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 Big Twelve tournament loss to Kansas again was tough. That was another game I thought you maybe could have won, and just did, did Kansas just played a little bit better than you that game. Those these so there were tough moments in a good year. But what I liked. About this is despite some of these just brutally awful moments and some really tough performances and all the injuries, the uncertainty, and so much going on, you exceeded all expectation and made a run in the dance. And that, I think that's that's how the season should be remembered. Is there were some sucky points, there were some bad times. I mean, McCullough when, when went down, Shannon was banged up, the COVID thing cost you Iowa State, the TCU loss, all these other you know tough battles and. Hard fought wins and tough losses. It just, the whole, it was not an easy season. Um, This was not like that 2019 national title run where you just were unbeatable for a while. This was a team that battled and scrapped, and they did that because they were not necessarily that good offensively in a way that could cover up when the defense wasn't necessarily 100%. They were so bad offensively. In fact, it didn't even seem to matter how good the defense was at times. So, you with a squad that could not shoot, didn't have a point guard, you made it to the Sweet 16. And I think when you we're part of this reason we're doing this recap is to talk about the future look, briefly. We'll do re- all kinds of look ahead stuff as we go and talk about the rosters a ton. But I think that what the look ahead for basketball is, is, I think you're going to have a better team this year. I think you're going to have a better shooting team. You've made that a priority. I think you're going to have a very good defensive team because it's Coach Adams. And I think that that combination. Can build off of what we did last year. You know, those guys did not shoot the ball. None of them did. Besides Bryson Williams, nobody shot a particularly good percentage. So you're going to be, if you boost on that, the the sky's the limit. I mean, you went to the Sweet 16 with a team that I swear to God felt like shot 20% at times. I mean, I know it was a little bit better than that, but there were some moments where it felt like not only was there a lid on the basket, it felt like somebody took the basket out of the arena, just could not hit a shot. So, That's. I want to leave with a positive note that despite all of the the hardship of the last year, you accomplished great things, and I think you're positioned to do even more with a more well-rounded team next season. Which brings us to the last of the major three sports, being baseball, which just ended. There's probably still some soreness about this loss, especially with the College World Series, ongoing with Oklahoma looking like the team to beat, but, you know, Baseball as a sport Tech has historically dominated. This was not necessarily the most fun year in the world, though you still came damn close to winning the Big 12 title. It seemed to be a theme between these last two sports. Maybe not necessarily Tech's best teams ever, but we're right in the thick of things in terms of the title runs. So, Jack, when we're talking about this baseball team, what I want to focus on first is uh, I want to focus on the pitching side of this. Because I think that the story of the regular season and the postseason is defined by pitching. The regular season being kind of a disaster besides two aces. The postseason being one of the most complete performances from a tech bullpen ever. Um, So I want to talk about that. And I want to focus first just, you know, besides Morris and um, Birdsell, who were... Well, it was clear, home in particular started to run out of gas towards the end, but they were your best pitchers during the year. Who's a guy out of the, when you look at the sum total of this, that you would give your most valuable player to besides those two, who was the guy that stood out the most to you out of that pitching staff
0: besides your two aces? I think for me, it's, it's a hard choice. It really is. But for me, you know, I, I mean, there were so many guys that at times just looked lost. They looked like they had no idea. And then those same guys a week later could come back and look like they were fourth-year guys just shutting everything down. If I can't choose Morris or Birdsell, it's it's a toss-up, and it and it's between Hampton and Molina. Uh, and I, I want to give it to Molina because he's a true freshman. Uh, Hampton Hampton has been here for a year. He knows what to expect. He started a regional game, to, or I guess, last year. So Molina's kind of blind coming into all this, and there were times where, I, I'll be the first to say, there were times where he looked bad, like really bad. But there were also a good amount of times where he came in and gave you some stability when you needed it. I think that he was, I think that he was a lot better than we give him credit for when he was that third starter to start the year. I think that there were a lot of times where he pitched really well and just didn't get a lot of run support. I also think that once he was pushed back to the bullpen, he took that in stride very well. Also, I don't think that he let it ruin his year by any means. And I think that, he almost enjoyed it because he gets to pitch more frequently, I guess I, you should, you can say. So while, while I want to say Chase Hampton, because of him coming on late at the year and finally figuring things out, which is a very good jumping point to next year. I I, I want to say that it's uh Mason Molina. I'm going to go with a guy who did not necessarily
1: pitch the most uh, because of the role he filled. But I'm going to go with Derek Bridges here. And the the, the, re- the reason why I'm going with Bridges is I, uh, a phrase an announcer used stuck with me. I don't remember what game this was I was watching when they said this, but they described Bridges as the traffic cop. Um, and I think that that's... We all remember, and the reason why that stuck with me is we all remember Arkansas's uh, uh, do-it-all Mr. Cops himself, who came out and would close down basically any situation. They threw that kid into the ground. Bridges didn't get anywhere near that amount of work, but it was a similar style role. When Tech was in trouble, bases loaded, two on, no outs, big moments, big situations, they routinely said, hey, dude, this is an impossible situation, but we need you to get out of here with no more than a run. Um, and he did it almost every time. In fact, I don't remember an outing he came out there and anybody really hit him. Um, it it he, he consistently slammed the door, not just closed the door, he slammed it shut on big moment after big moment. And like I said, I know he did give up some runs, but I'm not remembering an outing where I felt like anybody really touched him up. Um, I don't remember what his final ERA was, but he was at least from the huge moments, as good as could have come. Um, we asked a lot of guys to do that in the postseason. There are a lot of guys who threw some crutch innings, but Bridges was the guy who throughout the year was when you had to get a win in these early games and you were in a big moment, he was the guy who you sit out there and said, we need you to just throw inning, inning and a half and make sure there's no damage done because we need to close this out. He
0: finished with a 3 7 ER.
1: Which is... Just a very good ERA, especially considering, like I said, his number one usage time was in bad moments. I mean, like, it wasn't like this guy took on a lot of clean innings. Um, he would occasionally pitch a second in or a third, but most of it was, hey, um, uh, 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 what, what's what's like Devine's thrown 18 balls in a row or Sanders' collapse, you know? It was one of those moments where these guys early in the year that – were struggling to, to command, we're giving up a lot of walks or a lot of hits. And they said, We just need you to close this out. We're out of arms. Get us out of here. That was his job. He was phenomenal. I the damnedest thing is I don't even think I don't know how he did it. I don't think he threw particularly hard. Um I don't think he had the most noteworthy arsenal of pitches. He just seemed to know how to induce contact, get guys out, and get crutch strikeouts. I mean like I he's not gonna go to the MLB and be a big thing. Um you know, it's not like Burcell or or Morris, who maybe have some lofty expectations. He's a, he, he reminds me a lot of Shudder from last year, but without quite as much of the stuff. It was bizarre. He just he I don't know how to describe it other than he just pitches well. He pitches comfortable, he pitches under control. He didn't walk a lot of guys. He just came out there, he threw strikes, and he let his defense support him. And lo and behold, you turn in a three two seven in a year, which most of the staff was five plus. It's pretty damn good, and you did it in a lot of bad moments. So he's the guy I think stands out the most out of that staff when we when we look past the aces, because he's one of the few who had a quote unquote good year. Uh, most of the rest of the staff had what I would grade as a bad year with a great ending. Bridges was good start to finish, and he was asked to do a job that maybe somebody else should have done. Uh, uh, and in uh, a better year, you know, if Hampton, Morris, and Birdsell were all on, and some of these other guys had panned out, I don't know if Bridges would have been asked to be just, you know, the the last resort, get out of the inning guy. But he he braced the role and did it well. Uh, let's look at the pitch, the 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 batting now. Inconsistent isn't quite how I describe this because you were, frankly, you were good until the end of the year, and then it was really really bad. So I do want to focus though on your your just thought process overall in the lineup we how do you describe what happened at the end of the season considering how it started what did you see what did what what diagnosis do you make over that and looking in particular at some of the guys returning you know how how do we avoid this kind of thing from happening again just a complete offensive collapse
0: i think what you saw was a lot of guys trying to do too much um. Uh, just you, they weren't really even in bad situations earlier in the year. You could see it when Tech got down, kind of late in the game. They wouldn't come back much because everyone was trying to do too much. Everyone was swinging at everything, you know, and it was it was hard to watch. But you understood why they were doing it. They're they're just trying to come back and do too much. Come from the starting, from your lineup to move on from it. From your lineup, you're only returning three guys. Uh, you're going to return Dylan Carter, Hudson White, and Owen Washburn. That's it. Uh, so far, I'm. I'm like I said, we haven't heard anything yet. Jace Young and Cole Stillwell could still come back. I am anticipating. Both of them to be gone. I'm also anticipating Morris to leave. Also, the only one we know for sure is leaving so far uh, is Brandon Birdsell, who has already said his goodbyes. And, uh, you know, we wish him the best, of course. But I really, I really think that the roster sets up really well. I think there's a lot. Uh, to keep it from happening again, you're going to have new guys in there. Uh, the first couple of weeks might be more of a learning process than anything, but I think the, the options are super are super, I guess, positive, and you can look forward to them. They're very encouraging is the word I'm looking for. Um, you can fit a lot of different guys in a lot of different spots just based on being utility guys. I, I mean, I I think if Zach Vuletic decides to stay, I think that he could be a starter at a couple of positions next year. If he wanted to stay in the outfield, I think he could start in left. Um, but, you know, if, he, if you really wanted to, I think you could put him at third base and – um you know kind of continue the lineage of deep third base at tech if you if we really want to get into it real quick if I may tech has been spoiled tech fans have been spoiled with the lineage of third baseman uh if you go back to it if so parker kelly Parker Kelly was great in the field. Absolutely great. And this year, he turned it on hitting. He had his best year ever as a Red Raider, and uh, it couldn't happen to a better person. Parker Kelly's a great dude. Before that, he he replaced Josh Young. We all know about Josh Young. And if you want to go before Josh Young, it was Hunter Hargrove. So you're talking about guys that are synonymously known in this program with being great, whether it be with the bat or in the field or both and I'm really interested to see where Tech goes at the third base position from here. Um, there are some guys that we have that are coming to Tech. Um, I have a, a kid from uh, Aransas Pass. Uh, there's also a kid from South Carolina that's coming in that's listed as a third baseman. And you also have some shortstops that are on here that could probably be moved around in that uh, infield. Also, like I said, you could have Vuletic be a, be a kind of a placeholder for a year. We'll, we'll get into baseball rosters farther down the road and more likely towards the winter time, uh, you know, kind of in that dead period before baseball starts ramping up in February. But The thing that I take away from even the poor ending hitting-wise is that the future is very encouraging. And when you're only losing probably four guys to a non-graduation leaving the program due to not something that's not graduation... All those guys in the bullpen have a lot of, or will have experience. Um, you're going to get, you're going to get some guys back that you really wish you had this year. Uh, people forget, you know, we didn't have Hayd Key at all this year, uh, who is a standout his freshman year as a reliever. We didn't have Brendan Gurton for more than he only came in. I think for like s- seven or eight games. So we get Brendan Gurton back. Um, depending on the severity of Trendon Parrish's injury, you know, he'll be back. So in Chase Hampton, Mason Molina, you start, you start throwing this list out and the future is very encouraging for this ball club. It's one of the more encouraging off seasons that I can remember with having to replace so many guys, you're having to replace, you know, Easton Morrell, Kurt Wilson, Parker Kelly, most likely Jace Young and Cole Stilwell. So and your top two aces, but still I find myself more encouraged about this coming season possibly than I was coming into this year, which is a very big positive.
1: Yeah, when you when you're talking about this lineup and everything that happened to it. Um, at the end of the year, I think it can be summed up as along the lines of a, of a, a team that stopped trusting its pitching staff, um, which is, you know, not an unfair proposition for those guys. It it, it ha- They they consistently watched big hitting performances get wasted, good hitting performances get wasted, and I think there became a sense that if we're not cranking out, you know, 12, 13 runs a game, we are going to lose. I think, um, it, was just bo- I think it was both kind ways. Of,
0: yeah. I think it was both ways. It definitely, like you said, because you know, we we have talked about this at length. That there were so many games that we saw tech score ten runs and lose, but then it felt like at the same time there were games where pitching would only allow three runs and we'd lose the game three to two. So I think it was a distrust from both ends of the spectrum.
1: Yeah, I mean it, it's 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 what happens in a baseball season when you just can't seem to string together a complete game. Um, and part of this was spoiled because you, you, you would have these big wins game one, game two, and then these just total beatdowns in game three, just these massacres in game three against Baylor, against Texas, against Kansas, where you just get beat up a bit. Um, Kansas a bit closer, but the other two were really one-sided um and i think that's that poisoned the well a bit guys started to realize we don't have much in the tank and the bullpen the bullpen started to feel like when they do throw good games on a sunday they can't trust their guys um and that 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 just is what happened um, i think this was a rebuild year for tech that was ahead of schedule um Look, I can go on and on about how dumb I think RPI is, but the truth of the matter was is Tech ended up in a regional that was um, unfortunately occupied by the team who did absolutely get screwed. If Notre Dame's not there, Tech goes to the Super. I don't know if you could have beaten Tennessee. I don't tend to think so, but you would have been a Super Regional-bound team, um, no doubt, if anybody else had been there. You, know, you push Notre Dame to the limit with one of the worst hitting performances I've ever seen. So if you play anybody else who wasn't an Omaha caliber team, like the Irish were, you would have moved on. Um, That's despite a total hitting collapse. I think how you avoid this next year is you just, I think, and it's not in Tadlock's DNA, but I do think you have to force these guys to play a little small ball early in the year. Um, I don't like small ball like most people don't like small ball, uh, but I think it forces guys to stop thinking about every bat you know, being a home run because you saw way too often. They were taking just nobody hit defensively. They were hitting to, to hit. They were hitting it to knock the knock it the fuck out of the park. Um, you know, Jace Young, like what, what, what was Josh Young best at? He was best at just putting the fucking ball in play when it had to be in play. That's what made him such a great hitter was not just hitting for power. It was hitting for average, He could put the ball onto the field and let guys make plays. He could hit doubles. He could hit triples. He could hit a single when needed. And way too often this year, we would see, you know, one guy would crank out a double and then we'd go 0-3 the next one towards the end of the year. Whereas earlier in the season, when those balls were jumping out of the yard, it was okay. When we got into a a couple ballparks that weren't playing very offensive, um, playing in the Rangers Stadium, which is not an offensive ballpark, and then unfortunately it it just kind of seemed like Georgia Southerns wasn't either with that big monster out in right field, um, it just didn't work. So I think how you avoid this is you force these guys to think a little bit more about situational hitting. You know, uh, I don't want Tech to suddenly become what Argy Rito turned Texas into, which he won national titles playing, we're going to win games three to one. That's how Texas won those national titles. That era of baseball is dead and gone. But I do think you tell guys, like, instead of swinging every pit, I think you coach guys like, hey, we're going to ask you to bun every now and we're gonna ask you to, to to choke up we're gonna give you yeah choke you know. the
0: bat with two strikes that's it's simple choke the bat with two strikes and swing for contact yeah and that that's the kind of stuff I just
1: it's not it hasn't been in tamilix's DNA to do that but you got a team that was a little bit more shaky than some of the past ones were in terms of you know pop towards the end of the year and they didn't have the ability to rally and figure out how to hit anymore um, they just kept trying to fight themselves out of the slump But i like to close tonight on a positive note with baseball. And I want to focus on something Jack was talking about, is you had a lot of talent coming in. Um, You're going to be replacing a lot of key guys, but you had a lot of young pitchers in particular who are coming back who we expect to take another step. You're going to have some guys who I think guys like Morris, maybe um, if he elects ultimately return, you have guys like Hampton to stay and not transfer. Um, you have some guys who can stay in the program and if you can just retain your talent, there's enough there to really take another step forward. The last two years of Tech Baseball have not been up to Tadlock's typical standards. It's it's not his, you know, M.O. to, to get blown out of a, re- a super and then to not even clear your regional, to not even host. It has not been his best two seasons, but he's got the pedigree of a coach you can, who can get guys together. and I think there's pieces in place to do it. I just think this season needs to be taken as a learning lesson for the staff. You know, what do you do when the team may just not have it? How do you coach them up? And I think they, they they fought their asses off. They coached these kids through what was a not particularly good tech baseball team compared to others. That's just, I don't mean that these kids couldn't play. They just, they were missing a couple of pieces. Either due to injury or bad luck or whatever you want to call it. They were missing a little something that would have made them magical and special on one of those great you know Omaha teams. Um, part of it was seating. Part of it was shit. I don't know what you want to call it. Luck of the luck of the Irish. Uh, part of it was men, uh, bad mental health. I mean, you can look at any number of excuses or reasons for what happened. But I think this was a good learning experience for the staff because it's been a while since Tech has had a not great baseball team, um, and this was one that was not up to the par past Tadlock teams. And they still were a game away from winning the, a share of the Big Twelve title. That's how close you came. You came one game away from sharing the big 12 title with Oklahoma on TCU. Um, or excuse me. I think it would have just been with TCU if you had won that one game, but you, that's how close you came despite all the bullshit. And I think you'll be better next year. I don't, I don't, I don't think you're going to have another slump year. So the, the, that's kind of how we're going to close out our year in a review is just, I think good times are, are here for tech. If, if coach McGuire, can battle through a really tough first season with a respectable record. I think the athletic program's in a pretty good shape. We'll have to see how the women's programs come along, how track and golf are doing. You know, some of these other programs that we were, we're not seeing as much from as we'd like golf had a great year. Don't get me wrong. I just mean that we, they weren't, you know, the national title winner, but that was a fantastic season. I mean, more along the lines of like softball and women's basketball and track and field that weren't as competitive as maybe we would have expected. Um, for being like top five national teams. So, you know, there, there's a lot of good things happening where they're so close to taking the next step to start bringing home trophies. So that's, that's how we're going to close our show tonight was just with that thought It's just as, as tough as this last season and the great sporting calendar was, we're looking ahead to the 2022, 2023 athletic year. And there's a lot of potential for some good, good old fashioned ass kickings. And we're just going to have to see what happens. It's like anything. College sports is a game of um, Jimmys and Joes, and we'll see what Tech does. You know, a lot of staffs are making a lot of moves. Women's basketball is making a lot of moves. Softball's got a new head coach. Football's been all over the place. Basketball's all over the place. Baseball's been all over the place. Track is all over the place. I mean, everybody's trying to build their roster. So we're gonna have to see what happens and just hope for the best. And I'm I'm expecting that as good of a year as this really was with several major programs in the postseason, with a lot of programs battling for the top spots. um, I hope next year we can come back at the end of this and point to some national titles on the board Uh, that that's, that's what was missing this year. And I think, you know, there are sports on tech's campus in the major three who have that kind of aspiration now year after year, and they're getting closer. Um, So we'll be back in a week, week and a half. We're not going to be as regular for our recording schedule because of the off season, um, hopefully we can get Kendall or Reed or both back. We really want to talk about all things related to the the, the latest scheduling news about conference expansion, about NIL. I want to have, give Jack a chance to really dive into the baseball rosters a bit, recruiting. We're going to cover a whole range of topics this offseason, but I wanted to, before we really got into the meat of that, just take a second look back. So hopefully you guys enjoyed, found something to listen to, and you will hear from us soon.